she not a lesbian for peace, she turned pivian, push pin, push pin. Well, we're at part three of three, and I truly mean it. This episode, we are going to get through the entire existential crisis. Uh, Congratulations, you made it. Congratulations, you made it to the last part. And like I said in last episode, I don't have enough to fill an entire episode of um, like a whole hour with stories. Um, But what we're going to do is first half will be the remainder of the story um, buckle in because it just gets crazier than what it already was, unfortunately, for me. Um, and then we'll kind of get into like the the lesson that I learned, give you guys some enlightenment, give you some positivity to end this episode with. And yeah, again, no top three this episode. Um, let's just get right into the story. So where we left off is that I had been picked up by my aunt and uncle, uh, my mom's brother. So this is on my mom's side of the family in Grand Island. They got me canes and then they offered me a place to stay um, in the interim. And so I went back with them. I had my um, necessities that the police officer whom uh, grabbed me when my car broke down told me to grab. So I had one bag of stuff. Um brought it with me back to La Vista, uh, so in the same town that I grew up in. And I was there for, I want to say, like one or two weeks. And like I said in the last episode, I really thought that I walked into an amazing situation. Um, My aunt is retired OPD, and she also works in domestic violence. Um, She is amazing. And uh, my uncle, uh, also funny, one of the uncles I felt like I got, um, I personally got along with, uh, not got along with, but, um, like he has a very similar personality to me, very similar sense of humor to me. I was really enjoying myself while I was there. Um, I was very much struggling while I was staying at their place. Um, not like in front of them, truly, like I, not at all. Um, I don't tend to wear if I'm going through a hard time, and this is obviously one of my issues, I don't tend to wear it like on my sleeve and I'm not going to like mope around and you're not going to know that I'm having a bad time. Um, Usually I'm naturally wired to just always be happy. I've not always been this way, but nine times out of 10, I have energy. I'm happy. I'm good, even if I'm not good. And that's how I was behaving there except for my inconsistent sleep schedule in which everyone in my family immediately diagnosed me without going to talking to a doctor or even talking to me about it, diagnosed me with insomnia and thought that I was crazy for having a bad sleeping pattern um, when in all reality, we've talked about this, it was from the trauma that I had experienced in the last three months and my body simply could not shut down. My mind couldn't shut down. My body couldn't shut down. I was running on Um, either like too much sleep, like sleeping all day or no sleep. Um, so that was the only weird thing I was doing while I was there. Um, I'm a pretty lax house guest too. I clean up after myself. I clean for them. (laughs) Um, my people I stay with, I usually clean for them as well. I'll do their dishes. I'll do, you know, anything that I can to help them. Um, I, 
wasn't making a lot of noise. I don't go out. Um, yeah, I'd say I was a pretty good house guest. Um, and I was really enjoying myself. They were telling me, you know, like you are welcome to stay here as long as you would like, um, until you can, you know, like find a place, get up on your feet. Um, you're welcome to stay here. And so I was like, wow, what a turnaround, what a turn of events, what a, I literally said to my aunt on the day that all hell broke loose at this place, um, I really feel like things are turning around. I feel really feel like things are looking up. Like I am doing great. I'm feeling great. Thank you guys so much for giving me this home to stay in. And then I just got shat on. Again. <laughs> yeah. So I want to set the scene because this day changed my life for the worse and traumatized me again this is probably like this is when I saw no light at the end of the tunnel this is when I felt we've talked about this on the podcast before the mental health warrant that my family put me under that was legally binding with no legitimacy um I want to find the date because I had just posted an Instagram story and then I had three police officers um, barge in my bedroom at my aunt and uncle's house and put me in handcuffs and put me in the back of the cop car and take me away. Uh, this is what I was referencing when I said um, there was a plan that was being made behind my back the entire time I was staying there. I'm not obviously um, confident this is what happened, but it's what felt like happened. And um just based off of body language and based off of conversations that I was having with family around this time, it appeared that um, this plan was actively getting put together, um, but nobody was actually taking the chance to listen to me, the person that it was going to be put on. Um, they just listened to their own narratives and their own stories that they were receiving either from said ex, who was not given the correct story um, at this point. Um, friends who were not being good friends and weren't in the loop with what was going on. So therefore we're also not giving the right story. Um, so yeah, essentially they were talking to everybody but me, um, dancing around the topic with me, um, but never straight up saying like, this is what we want you to do and whatever. Actually one person did and it was my dad and I told him no. And then they put the warrant on me. <laughs> um, but they also did not do a good job explaining what it was that they were apparently trying to get me to do in this warrant, even though it didn't end up happening. And I just was traumatized inside of Methodist Women's at Shadow Lake for three days. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the date is February 21st. And um, yeah, there. this is really when it went south uh, for me. And my entire life flashed before my eyes, not flashed. I actually just sat in um, that hospital and had my existential crisis and um, wondered if I was ever going to get out of the mental health system, wondered if any of my friends were going to help me other than Kara, wondering if any of my family was going to help me. Not a single family member came to the hospital. Um, it was very lonely. It was very sad. It was very horrifying. It was straight out of a movie and a very unfortunate and tragic movie. 
So let's get into when the police came into my room, that process. Um, I have a bone to pick with Mr. Fugitive Man. You know who you were, Mr. Sassafras. Uh, Let's pull the body cam footage from them too, shall we? I wonder how you can do that because I want all of this. So let me paint the picture for you. I hadn't slept well that night. Um, I was up early. I was probably up at like 5.30, which isn't unusual for me. May I say I worked a full-time job. This pisses me off when people question me about being up early. I worked a full-time job and I woke up at 5.30 every day. I'm not a baby. I am very much sorry for these notifications going off on my watching computer. Hopefully you guys can't hear that. I'm sure you can though, unfortunately. So sorry about this. Um, it was not unusual for me to be waking up at this time, but because everybody sees me as baby, it was <laughs> apparently. So I'm up at 5:30. I couldn't sleep the night before. I just get up and start my day early. I do my makeup, I do my hair, I put on a cute outfit. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling amazing. I order my groceries for myself for the week um, on DoorDash. Those get delivered. Um, I'm putting them away with my putting them away with my aunt upstairs. Um, this is around the time I said, things are starting to look up. Yep. How disgusting and sad. Um, I also had ordered myself some flowers. Um, when I had lived with my ex, my routine on Sundays or Mondays was to go get a fresh bouquet of flowers. I'd get a fresh bouquet every other week and I would make different bouquets with Trader Joe's flowers. And I hadn't done that since I left that house and I was missing that routine. I was missing my flowers. And so I had door dashed myself a bouquet of flowers and those had just shown up. I just put them on my nightstand. I had just situated them. I was getting in my routine for the week. And then there are three police officers behind me. Mr. Fugitive is the one who starts. They come in there, a bust in in because they thought I was like attempting to take my life. Like I said in my last, the last episode, there has to be some sort of reasoning. You either have to be harmful to yourself or harmful to others for something like this to happen. I was neither, but that was a great excuse to get them there. Um, and so both were slung, which is a horrible accusation to be slinging when somebody's not saying either of those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, ever or typing them, or writing them, or thinking them, or verbally saying them, ever. Yeah, never once said that. Never fucking said that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, Mr. Fugitive is the one who is all buff, buffing his chest up, being all, well, we had a call, and somebody is worried about saying that you were going to harm yourself. And I said to him, and politely, I didn't say that. Well, then why would somebody say that? Uh, I don't know. Probably because they're an idiot and because they're lying, <laughs> obviously. Okay, well, this warrant's legally binding, so there's nothing I can do about it. Okay, fuck you. Okay, fuck you. <laughs> what was the point in that, Mr. Fugitive? You just sounded like an idiot. And I was telling the truth, so <laughs> fuck you. Anyway, they <clears throat> escort me upstairs. And my aunt is in the basement crying and just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, after she just blindsided me. Yeah, I'm sorry, didn't cut it, and it's not okay still. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, but it's not okay. Either of you. And um, anyway, I get escorted upstairs. The room I was staying was in was in the basement. They walk me up the stairs, all three of them. They chat with me for a little bit up at the top of the stairs, and they put me in handcuffs. Mr. Fugitive is going back and forth with me again, just trying to really rub it in. He's like, well, why would somebody do that? Well, why would – well, because they want me to be publicly humiliated is what I said. Pull it up on the fucking body cam footage. I said, because this is what they want. <laughs> Obviously, Mr. Fugitive, you idiot. And I was right, wasn't I? So I get in the car and I'm like, this is a fucking, if I, I would have never known this is what my life was going to turn into. And for what fucking reason? For what fucking reason? Nothing, actually, for no reason. After I went and sat with my therapist, after all this happened, I said to her, the thing that sucks the most about this entire situation in the past three months is that not a single thing was in my control. The two things that were in my control was breaking up with my boyfriend and quitting my job. But I didn't choose to do those things out of no reason. I chose to do those things because I was getting myself out of a healthy, an unhealthy situation. So I'm so bitter at this point and I'm still bitter now because no matter what I did in the past three months, all of this would have still happened. It was completely out of my control, and there was nothing I could have done about it. I was powerless. Literally, I felt like a, I felt like a baby, and I said this to people over and over again. I felt like a baby. I had no rights. I had no voice. I had no opinion. I couldn't make decisions for myself. I couldn't drive. I didn't have a car. I couldn't buy things. I couldn't, like, fuck, I couldn't do anything. And then I was getting locked up and thrown into the mental health system, which is an incredibly horrible system in the United States and in Nebraska specifically. So let's continue in this story, riding in the police car, in which I could tell they could tell what they were doing was incorrect and that I shouldn't be getting drove there. But um, again, I was under a mental health warrant, which is filed with the district attorney in the state, I believe. And there's nothing they could do about it. Like I had to get taken there. So I get taken there. The Mr. Fugitive was not in the cop car. He went in his fugitive truck. Thank God. Get the fuck out of here, Mr. Fugitive. I was so pissed at that guy. Probably going a little too hard to him, but I was so pissed at that guy. And I had two very kind ones drive me in a car, a female and a male, walk me in, get me to check in, whatever, take me back. And then I get put in my room. I was in three rooms in three days. I moved every like morning or every night. I don't remember. But I start in room number seven in the ER at Women's Methodist, whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. The one in Shadow Lake. Hell. Near Shadow Lake. I left him a bad review. You can probably see it. <laughs> um, so I get there and the two police officers have to hand me my warrant and kind of like walk me through it. And I'm noticing they leave. And I'm like, the street address on this warrant isn't correct. Like the street address that you guys picked me up at and that this warrant was placed on me at has a typo in it. (laughs) 
And so I had this awesome doctor. His name was Matthew. And he was hot. Matthew, if you're listening and you're single, what's up? Anyway, he comes in. He's like, does an intake on me and whatever. He's like, this is bullshit is maybe what he said. I'm not going to tell you because if it's going to put his job in jeopardy, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) And so I'm like, yeah, I agree. And guess what? There's a typo in the address. There's three zeros in the street address that they came and got me at and that I was staying at at this point. And on the warrant, it had two. And so I'm like, is this even legally binding? The street address doesn't exist. Technically, yes. I don't know how, but I, if I would have left, like if I would have said like, fuck this, this street address is incorrect and you guys can't hold me here. You can't tie me here. And I would have just walked out the doors. They would have had the police berate me and grab me and put me back in. So I was just like, fuck this is incorrect, but I still have to stay here. What the hell? Oh, so anyway, Mr. Matthew um, describes what happens in a situation like this, that like essentially the only way that you're going to get out is if you get clearing from a psychiatrist and we're going to try our best to get you out of here as fast as we can. And so I was prepared And what the police teed me up for whatever this was, I was under the impression, like I left my phone in my aunt and uncle's, I left my everything there because I was under the impression I was just going and getting checked out and being brought back. I didn't know I was getting locked. I got my phone taken away from me. I got my watch taken away from me. Well, I guess I didn't have my phone. I I only had my watch on me, my earrings, my clothes, my everything taken away from me. I had like 20 minutes with my watch and it was going to die. And I literally just mass text everyone I knew. I sent my pin. I sent my current location and I said, I am locked in this hospital with no legitimacy. My family put me under a mental health warrant. If there's anything you can do to help me, please do. This is where I'm at. This is all I can say. And this is all I can do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do that after Matthew gave me the rundown of like, you are going to be in here until you get cleared by a psychiatrist um I contact a ton of people then they come in I think take my watch take my earrings belongings um I change into a gown and socks and all that kind of stuff that they give you there (laughs) it was horrible (laughs) and um I am beyond myself. I'm crying. I'm. It's kind of setting in that like sun's starting to set. It's settling with me that I'm going to be there for the night and that I have no way to contact anybody and that I don't know when the fuck I'm going to get out of here. Do note that at this point in time, I also didn't know who put the warrant on me because my family wouldn't admit that they were the ones that put the warrant on me. And so it was between two people. It was either my family who had done it or I had thought maybe my ex had done it. Um, Again, I had no idea and I had no way to um, find out either. Um, I was, once my watch was taken away and I was like settling into my back room, um, the nurses on the floor, by the way, I wasn't in like a mental health institution i was literally just in the er which is sus to me um 
Yeah. So the ER nurses let me borrow a phone to make a few calls. And I call, I believe, my family first. And that's when I ask them, like, did you do this? Can you help me get out of it if you're the ones that did this? And they said no to both, um, that they couldn't help me either. So crying, upset, and those phone calls. Um, I think I called my mom, dad. I don't think they answered. I called my sister, um, Ashley, and she said no to both. <laughs> and then I called my ex. He said he couldn't help me. I called Taylor Thomas. She was amazing and caring and loving and helping and was going to do anything she could to figure something out or at least see if there was somebody who knew somebody that could help me get out. Um, she sent a few messages. <laughs> and again, I think people just didn't know the situation. So again, how the fuck were they going to help? But yeah, we tried. Um, I called Actually, this was so amazing. My uh, old friend, Anna Brooks, I had contacted her, I think, through my uh, watch before they got it taken away, before I got it taken away, and um, she called the hospital. And so in between, like, I had, I was crying because my family calls didn't go well. I was crying because my call with my ex didn't go well. I was happy that my call with Taylor went well and that I got to talk to her. And then I get notified that Anna had called the hospital to check in on me. And, like, I didn't get to talk to her on the phone. Um, I also was about to go to bed. So I was just like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to sleep. I'm going to keep sleeping. I'm worn out. Um, But, like, it made my entire life knowing that, like, she even just, like, made the effort and the action to call and check and see how I was doing. Um, And we are still talking. And we hadn't talked since uh, a long time before that, since this uh, situation. So that was really amazing. I contacted a lot of people. I contacted that friend that I talked about in the friends episode that also uh, said it was beyond her help and out of her hands. So yeah, I was like striking out and um, there was also, this goes to show you how horrible the mental health um, <clears throat> field is in Omaha and in Nebraska and in the United States. There was not a single psychiatrist open to see me the entire time I was there. So I was locked in there for no reason. Um, I never got to see a psychiatrist and they couldn't get me a psychiatrist, even though I see my own therapist and I could have like, I don't know, walked out of there and gone and found a psychiatrist my fucking self without getting put in a war and being traumatized. You dipshits. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but that's just simply not how it ended up working out for me. Um, so night one, I'm like, low-key telling I'm so sad I'm not doing good I'm sad I'm getting burst of mad because I'm confused and obviously angry at the situation and then I decided there's literally nothing else I can do in here and I'm working myself up so bad that I feel like physically ill um my heart's palpitating I'm literally working myself into anxiety attacks I don't want to sit here and cry the whole time I don't want to sit here and work myself up the whole time all I can really do is watch TV or sleep. And so I would cry myself so hard I would sleep and then I'd wake up and I'd watch TV. And the first night um, I was very exhausted because they tried to get me out of there um, that night um, and they were going to try to have me see – they saw had me see a psychiatrist um, over telehealth. Um, and I really want to talk about this specific situation because it was 
fucked up and wrong and i don't think this person had the correct credentials to be doing what she was doing because uh it was the worst therapy or whatever the fuck session it was it was horrible and she was so bad at her job and traumatized me even more <laughs> yes so with that being said that night i was emotionally worn out and it was pretty easy for me to sleep um but let's get into the session with her i also want to talk about um before that something i found to be extremely odd in the er and i don't know the reasoning of this but I was in room seven, five, and one. Or seven. Yeah, seven, five, one. In room number seven, um, there was just a regular, like, traditional clock, the type that you would see in, like, a school. That's the type of clock I know how to read, <laughs> or a digital clock. In room five, um, there was military time, security cameras. There were no cameras in the first room, but there were security cameras in my second room. And then the clock was military time. So I had to teach myself how to read military time because I didn't know what the fuck, what fucking time it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine not knowing what time it is, not having any sunlight in your room, not having any contact to the outside world. Fuck. I felt like I was in jail. <laughs> and then in the first room, there was no clock. <laughs> and in all of them, no windows. And no heat, apparently, in the middle of winter. Fuck, I literally was begging for warm blankets and begging for warmth because, yeah, I was freezing. And it was not mixing well. The concrete floors and the no heat and the sliding door opening to the middle of winter was not mixing well with my Raynaud's um, and my anorexia. And they give you one thin blanket in there. One thin blanket, unless you ask for more. And I asked for, like, five more <laughs> than that. But let's talk about the psychiatrist that I saw over telehealth that was pushing my fucking buttons. So Dr. Matthew comes in my room. He wheels in this iPad that's standing with my telehealth psychiatrist on it. And this girl was from Ohio, um, Ohio, and she was my psychiatrist on my case. And did horribly and it didn't even count. They couldn't count telehealth to get me out of there. So yeah, I just painfully went through an appointment with her for no reason. <laughs> You're getting teed, Queen. You are getting teed. Um, so I'm sitting on this call with her. I think I had just gotten, I was given lunch. So I'm eating my lunch as I'm talking to her. I know it's her job to be like doing what she's doing and talking to me to get me potentially released. I'm very aware of this. Um, but Queen had, I think it was like maybe an hour to talk to me, and she was trying to get every traumatizing thing that had ever happened to me out of me in an hour. And if you're a therapist, if you're a psychiatrist, if you're anybody who works in mental health, you should know that's not how you're supposed to handle a situation like this because it immediately uh, sent me into fight or flight. It immediately shot my heart rate. It immediately shot my blood pressure. I literally, on camera, if we can run it back, I wonder if we can, would literally grab my chest and tell her, I don't know, like, stop pushing me so hard. And I can't cover all of this in this short amount of time. Like, you are pulling and prying all of this out of me. I would grab my chest and say, "I stop. Like, I need a second. For fuck's sake, you are pushing me so hard. No therapist 
should do that. No psychiatrist should do that if they're a good one. I have a very amazing therapist or had an amazing therapist. I'm doing so well. I'm not even seeing her. What's good? I miss her though. But I had such an amazing therapist. I never felt pride. I never felt pushed to talk about something that I didn't want to. I never felt uncomfortable. I never felt um, like she was insinuating something or that she had an answer before she asked me something. Like I felt judged by the psychiatrist. I felt pushed over my limit. I felt like she was crossing boundaries. I felt like it was not handled professionally at all. And by the end, I was just upset. I was like, what the fuck kind of call was that? Where am I? And what the fuck are they doing to people in the mental health field here? Is this helpful? Is this really helpful? Having someone just trauma dump on you? And you having this, your patient remember every traumatizing thing that's ever happened to them in a span of an hour and spit it off and rattle it to you like it's a fucking Jeopardy game? Is that constructive? Is that healthy? No. No, it's not. And neither is a lot of the things that they do in our hospitals and mental health facilities in this state and this country. So that was that. And like I said, it didn't even count. They couldn't count telehealth. Apparently, the psychiatrist had to come see how insane I was in person, even though I wasn't insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's night one. I watched a pretty banger uh, documentary, night one. And I actually shared that on my um, Instagram right as I got out, uh, fight the power on NPR. Oh my gosh. So good. And I turned it all the way up. I made sure I was making some noise. I was like, fuck these bitches, not fuck these bitches. The nurses, a lot of the nurses were great. Actually, all the nurses were great and all the doctors were great while I was there. Um, and I wrote them a thank you note when I left. Um, but I was just so upset at the situation. I also was like, you know what? If people aren't going to listen to my words, they're going to listen to what's going on inside my room. And maybe that'll help my situation here. I don't know. That was my tactic. So then anyway, uh, wake up. It's time to move rooms. This was like either at night shift or like in the morning. I don't remember. I get room moved to room five. This is the room that has um, security cameras. This room is closer to um, like visibility with the nurses. It's right in front of like where the nurses sit and do their computer work. So like if my door was open, I was literally facing nurses. Um, and this room had the clock that was military time. I left my door open almost the whole time I was in room number five because I was like, I want them to be able to see me and also like see the way that I'm acting throughout the entire day to know that I'm completely fine and normal. <laughs> Just so they can, I have nothing to hide. Uh, like, look at me. What you see is what you get. There's no reason for me to be in here. I'm very upset. Somebody help me. They were trying. But again, it was legally binding and there was nothing they could do. So I keep asking, any updates? No, no updates. Okay, great. Um, I'm getting upset with the food that is inside of this hospital because, like I said in a previous episode, it's not uh, – kitchen it's not a hotel it's not a resort it's a hospital so i'm eating hospital food 
this hospital food was also nothing was good for me in my eating disorder and with my reactive stomach. These people are feeding me eggs. Eggs are horrible for me. I literally had a breakfast burrito. I ate half of it and I said, guys, like I'll eat this food because I have to eat it. This is the only food that I have, but like it's going to make me shit my pants. And I'm already losing weight in here from the stress, which is obviously not good as an anorexic losing weight. Um, And also you guys are feeding me things that my stomach does not do well with and I'm just going to shit them right out. So tell me how this situation is any healthier than me being at home and having the correct food that I need for myself. And um, yeah, riddle me this. It's not. Um, And everyone knew that. But again, nothing they could do about it. So uh, room number five is when Kara came and visited me for the first time. We talked about this in the Friends episode. Um, I think Kara coming kind of allowed them to see like that the minute that I got to see like my people and my support system, I was completely fine. And again, I would leave the door open when Kara came uh, those two days, the last two days, I would leave my door completely open because I wanted the doctors and nurses and other patients, other people to hear, see, watch us interact because I was fine and I was sane and I didn't really know how else to plea my case other than just watch me be me. (laughs) And we were cracking jokes. We were having fun. We were... Kara was allowed to have her phone, so she would come in and uh, she'd fill me in on her weekend and show me pictures and we'd talk about anything but sad things because it was all so sad until Kara came for an hour of the day. (laughs) Yeah, so that was awesome. She brought me as well um, a box of Cheez-Its. That was awesome because I wasn't having food that was good for me. Um, She brought me a snack. I finished that box in a day. Um, she would bring her vape. I would hit her vape. What's up? I don't give a fuck. I wasn't even really even hiding it. (laughs) But yeah, I was ripped of like cold turkey, no weed, no nicotine, no alcohol, no nothing. I'm not a substance abuser, but if you know anything about any of that, you're not supposed to just rip somebody of it. And yeah, I was ripped of it. Um, so I'd get to hit her vapey vape. That was awesome. I'd get a good buzz off of her strawberry watermelon every day (laughs) um and then yeah last day third day hardest day i'd say which is crazy because it should have been the most exciting day uh but fuck i went through the ringer on the last day as well uh but i got out and i got discharged in room number one and let's let's get to that day Days, <clears throat> whoa, <laughs> sorry about that. Day started with a cookie for breakfast. I had a cookie left over from dinner that I didn't eat. And I woke up and I was like, I have a good feeling about today. I have energy. I actually, I couldn't sleep that, I actually don't remember, but it was late or early. I don't remember. I was feeling so down bad. I was feeling like I was never going to get out of this place. And I was like, how can I plead my case? How can I tell people what the fuck has been going on and like why I'm in this situation and why I don't deserve to be here? What I did is I went out to the nursing um, like desk and I was like, hey, can I borrow a piece of, pen, uh, piece of paper and pen? Which was a stretch for them to even allow me to do this because if you even asked for a pen in this place, they would ask you if you were going to stab yourself with it. Yeah. 
So I'm like allowed to, obviously not insane, (laughs) allowed to use a pen, not insane. And I write um, a 12 page paper of what my last three months had looked like and how I got into the situation. And I don't know if anybody read this piece of paper. I have no fucking idea. I um, was going to write a book, but now I'm thinking I don't even read books. I don't like to read personally. So I'm thinking we're going to turn this into a movie or documentary instead. Um, Book is not a thing anymore, but that was going to be the first 12 pages of my book because it was well done. Um, It was literally me, literally me pleading to get out of the hospital. Um, So yeah, it had to be well done. And Anyway, don't know if anyone read it, I, but they walked it up to my belongings and security. Um, it felt good to get it out. It felt therapeutic. It was on my own time. Miss Ohio, psychiatrist trying to pull all the trauma out of me in one hour. It was on my time, in my own will. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, Matthew's working hard to get me out. And then there was also, I don't remember his name. I wish I could. I tried to call back and get their names because I needed a primary and they said, fuck you. <laughs> Literally. Not actually, but rhetorically, metaphorically, they said, fuck you. Um, anyway, this other doctor starts working on my case too and he's working so hard. Uh, Kara's here at this point in room one with me. She brought me Starbucks. Yay. Oh my gosh. I was just drinking black coffee from a machine, which I I do black coffee. I love black coffee of any kind. But, oh, a Starbucks just hit so different on day three. (laughs) Slurping it up. Oh, my gosh. I'm fucking salivating right now, if that's even a word. Um, Just thinking about that first Starbucks hit. Um, Had my cookie for breakfast. Had Starbucks. Doctors are working OT to get me out. I'm feeling some hope this day. Kara has to go to work. She leaves. And we're getting some positive uh, reinforcement. We're like, hey, we're making some movement. I'm thinking we're going to get you discharged today is what we're hearing from the nurses and the doctors. And so I'm like pissing my pants, pissing my pants, but trying to stay cool because I'm like, I could also see me being in here for like three more days. So don't get too excited. <laughs> uh, Kara leaves and she's like, okay, keep me posted. If you need somebody to pick you up when you get discharged, I'm going to be at work. But like if it's later in the day, I could um, all this kind of stuff. She leaves they get me discharged pretty fast. I'm discharged probably within an hour of care leaving. So she's at work. I'm like, fuck, I don't have a ride. <laughs> I don't have a car. I don't have a ride. Um, So I start making phone calls again. I call my parents. I don't want to stay with them. So that was not an option. Um, I call, I think I called Kara and she was like, I'm at work, but let me know what you end up figuring out. And then I call uh, my older sister and she's like, oh my gosh, yes, like you can come stay with us tonight. I just needed one night is what I I just needed a bed to sleep in and a car to come pick me up and take me home from the hospital. And she's like, yeah, uh, word, Uh, I'm grabbing, she's grabbing her baby. We're getting in the car. We'll come get you. So I'm discharged. I'm out of the system in the hospital. Like they're like, get the fuck out of here. And, um. I know how long it takes for my sister from where she lives to get to this uh, hospital. And I'm like, damn, it's been kind of a long time. (laughs) Like sitting in my room in my clothes, not my hospital clothes. I I got my belongings. I got my discharge paperwork. I'm like excited to finally get out of this place. I'm so stoked. I'm like looking at the time. I'm like, shit, 
she should be here by now. I call her again and it goes straight to voicemail. Or not straight to voicemail, it rings all the way through. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> Where is she? So I call her husband, my brother-in-law, and in which he tells me I cannot come stay at their house because uh, I am too dangerous. Yep, I'm too dangerous. I can't come stay at their house unless I get uh, checked by a psychiatrist in person. So I have no ride home from the hospital and nowhere to stay uh, because my family's on their bullshit again with the same fucking reason that I got put in here for uh, number one, no reason, and number two, uh, them not understanding mental health at fucking all. So now I'm discharged and out of the system and I have nowhere to go. And so nurses and doctors are looking at me like, oh, for fuck, <laughs> not like for fuck's sake, but oh my God, this poor girl. <laughs> yeah. And they offer me, well, you could go to like the Sienna Francis house. Like that's how literally I had no options. Yeah. I'm like, no, let me call my friend Kara again. I feel horrible. She's like my mom right now. Let me call her again. I'd be willing to wait in like the lobby until she picked me up. Uh, but let me just call her, see what happens. As I'm calling Kara, the floor nurse gets two phone calls. So this means my family is working, letting people know that I am discharged and I'm getting out. Although I was not the one. I Let me backtrack and say I did not call my parents. Uh, I think I said that when I was looking for a place to stay, I called my parents. I did not. So they didn't know I was just discharged yet. But uh, the floor nurse gets a phone call. First phone call. Kirsten, it's your mom. Do you want to talk to her? No. She says she does not want to talk to you right now. Hangs up the phone. Second call. My other sister. Kirsten, it's your sister. So I say, which one? Because I'm like, oh, is it the one that's going to come pick me up? No, it's the other one. Do you want to talk to her? No. So she doesn't want to talk to you. Hangs up. So word's getting spread, but no one's picking me up. And I'm a menace and danger to society. And I can't stay at my own family's fucking house for no reason. Which, if I had to guess, that answer to that question with the husband is, is that he's still friends with the ex-boyfriend, even to this day. So that's my answer. Don't know if it's conclusive or true, but that is my answer. Um, seems to be the most legitimate and plausible one. Um, even though I'm his sister-in-law and I've known him the longest and believe the victim. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so I have nowhere to say. I call Kara and she's like, fuck dude, why would they do that? Why would he say that? That's ridiculous. You can't stay at my place tonight because she was, she's living with her parents. She's like, you can't stay with me, but I can pick you up and we can try to find something for you to do you know find somewhere for you to go okay that sounds good i'll just wait for you in the lobby until you're off work so i waited in the lobby of this hospital for an hour or two and then care picked me up we drove around we went to her house and this is when i sent the first 
uh, or the next group text, not group text, but the next massive text of I'm straight up homeless right now. <laughs> so you think I could stay with you tonight or for a few days? Uh, thanks. Was at Kara's house. We had just gotten out. I had just gotten out of the hospital. We had just gotten back to Kara's. And we were sitting in her kitchen thinking of like just the most random people <laughs> in my contact list that like maybe it wouldn't be super far-fetched to ask them if I could just like sleep at their place one night or that night or whatever. And she had plans. She had to go. Uh, she had something she couldn't miss. I don't remember. Uh, she had something she couldn't miss. And so we were on like a time crunch. And so it literally was like whoever responds first, I'm going to this person's place <laughs> because that's literally the only option I have. And Taylor Thomas responded first. And so I went and stayed with Taylor Thomas, fresh out of the hospi. I had no belongings. I had no phone. I had no laptop. I had no wallet. I had no, I, I had my ID, thank God. Um, but yeah, I showed up to Taylor's in borrowed clothes from Kara because the clothes that I wore obviously into the hospital were dirty. And at this point, sat in a bag in security for three days and smelled like must in hospital. Borrowed out from Kara, all Regis University. <laughs> um, a GoPuff. No, that was on the way out of Taylor's, actually. <laughs> um, my hospital bag with my belongings and everything inside of it and myself. And I stayed at Taylor's. And that's when you probably saw me there and out with Lexi and them is when I got out of the hospital. I just went and had myself a heyday. It was my birthday every day. Celebrated so hard every day of my life. I still am. Uh, so yeah, that was the first, uh, well, that was the only warrant. That was the first time I got locked in somewhere. I get locked in somewhere. Another time, this time was, um, I put myself in not because I was thinking I was going to harm myself or harm others because I was worried about myself because I wanted to get trauma brain scans and instead I got held and traumatized again. And then that's the story <laughs> of my crisis and we'll get into the learning. Uh, learning stuff. So before I get into the um, voluntary, voluntary check-in, um, I stayed at Taylor's for a few days um, and that was great. It was really good to stay with her. It was really nice to like re- our friendship had already been rekindled. It's been rekindled, but we hadn't been hanging out. And we hadn't been talking much since like prior to this. So it was really nice to like have that time with her and to um, also get some girl time after that situation in the hospital. Like I desperately just needed to like go out, relax, enjoy, watch movies, go out, get a drink, go on walks, sit and chat, just girl it up. <laughs> and I got to girl it up. Um, and then obviously like Taylor didn't want me to move in with her. I wasn't wanting that either, but like, I just, I felt towards the end, I was like, Hey, you let me know. Like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to go next, but like, if I am in your hair and if you like need me out of here, please tell me. Cause I don't want to be like a problem in your own space. Or if I'm overstaying my welcome, please tell me like, I will find somewhere to stay. And, um, it was kind of getting to the point where it had been like three or four days. I felt like I was overstaying my welcome. I think she was getting to the point too where it's like it's her home. It's a one-bedroom apartment. It's hers. And she had like no privacy in her own space. Um, so I'm like, fuck, I don't know where I'm going to go next. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm in, at rock bottom. 
and I end up moving back into my parents because I was literally, I had left Taylor's and, um, I was trying to find a place to stay. I was at the Starbucks on 72nd and Dodge. They closed. Um, I'm trying to contact people, figure out a way to find somewhere to stay. Again, I don't have a phone. I only have my watch. My watch dies right as I get to Starbucks, of course. So I call my parents on the Starbucks cafe phone and I'm like, hey, they're about to close. I have nowhere to go. It's freezing. I don't have a winter coat. If you guys get this, can you please can pick me up? I'll stay in the area, but they're going to be closing soon and I don't have a phone. So please, <laughs> please. They close. They're like, hey, I'm so sorry, but you have to leave. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. Is there anywhere in the strip that like would let me sit in there without buying anything? Because like I had just gotten a coffee. I just had a snack. I didn't want anything. And I also was not in the place to be spending more money. So I'm like, is there anywhere around here that will just let me sit? And they're like, yeah, Chipotle will let you sit like just without buying anything. So I had gotten a book um, from one of the like neighborhood libraries in Dundee and I was reading it. I was I went and cried in the bathroom in Chipotle. I <laughs> called my parents. I didn't think they were coming, so I was sad. Um, and then my dad walks through the doors. It's the first time I had seen my dad since all of this had happened. And I just got up, walked with him. They had a blanket ready for me. They had the heat going in the car. Um, I had nowhere to go. It was rock bottom. It was my last resort. It was my last option. Is it something that I wanted to do given our past circumstances in the past few months? Absolutely not. But I needed a place to eat. I needed a place to sleep. I needed a place to live. And I needed to stop hopping from place to place because it was not good for me. It was not good for my health. And um, I need consistency. So they came and picked me up. I moved in with them. That's when I moved into their house. Um, and I want to say it was about a week later or two weeks later that I said, um, I woke up one morning, my physical health was so bad and I was feeling very mentally like beat, literally mentally beat. Like I had no, I was in fight or flight, like trauma response 24 seven, which is horrible to live through. Um, I was having flashbacks of events, um, which is not fun or amazing to live through either. Um, really like aggressive, sad spells, um, aggressive, mad spells, aggressive, like protect myself and get, I need to do something to like protect myself. I feel unsafe spells. That's, that would be the fight or flight. But yeah, um, I woke up one morning and this was like two weeks after I'd been with them. And I came downstairs and I said, dad, I want to go to the hospital. And I don't know what for, but I feel like my anxiety and the trauma that I've experienced in the last three months is literally like shutting my body down. Um, I feel frail. I feel weak. I can feel my heart pounding out of my chest. They could feel my heart pounding out of my chest a lot of times in those two weeks just from high anxiety, from just thinking of circumstances, of thinking of situations. It would shoot my blood pressure and heart rate up so high um, that it would like give me vertigo. <laughs> so my body's exhausted. I'm thinking there's obviously something with my autoimmune disease going on. 
I was thinking I had some sort of lupus and I still don't know the answer to this. I won't because number one, (laughs) Mayo won't let me in. And number two, I can't get into one, a rheumatologist here until the summer. So I don't know the answer to this, but I thought I had lupus. It felt like I had lupus. Um, It seemed like on the same, around the same period of time of every month. Um, And it wasn't like period (laughs) stuff either. It wasn't like shit like that. No. Um, my body would break down. Like it would get to the point where I couldn't even tie my own shoes. Like my, um, fine motor skills, I had none towards the end of each month, which sounds very lupusy. So that was a concern of mine. And then I also was concerned that, um, like I've discussed in other episodes, trauma can eat at your body from the inside out. And with the way that my heart was, um, beating with the way that my blood pressure had been acting, um, going up and, um, down, having really low blood pressure and having really high blood pressure with my anxiety um, episodes, I was worried that um, that was having an effect on my heart or my organs. And so I wanted to get that checked out. And then um, I was like, and if if I'm admitting myself into the hospital to get like blood tests and any of the work done that I can find out if something's wrong with me done today, why don't we also, let's just go to, if there's some sort of mental hospital here or some sort of... Um, clinic that can get me like trauma brain scans, MRI, like um, they can literally light up your brain. It'll show where your brain is lighting up from trauma. And then they'll take those scans to like a specialist in EMDR and they'll hone in on those uh, trauma spots in your brain to build your therapy plan. So it's like if we're already going to the hospital, why don't we also try to see if somebody can do this um, today as well? Let's just do both. And so I packed my bag. I'm ready to be in the hospital for weeks because that's how I was feeling it was going to be. Um, and we go to Methodist. Yeah, I think Methodist. Get to Methodist, ER, go back. Um, the first, obviously, they have to ask you this if they're doing blood tests, but have you had any alcohol? And my answer was yes. I had had two or three Cayman Jacks. It was like, noon on a Saturday. Nice spring day. And they teed me up to go to, they were trying to fucking tee me up like I was a substance abuser because I told them I had two to three Cayman Jack margaritas on a Saturday at 22 years old. The first thing that the nurse asked me was about that. (laughs) I was like, you fucks. You fucks. Any other 22 year old most 22-year-olds on a Saturday are blacked out in the street right now. So fuck out of here with that. Obviously, that's not why I'm here, you fuckheads. <laughs> Ugh, these bitches. So immediately, I'm like, no, I don't abuse substances. And no, no, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> and I get my blood tests and everything comes back. No internal damage. Yay. And the ER can't do anything about rheumatology cases. So I'm SOL on that. So still, again, don't have answers on that because I couldn't get them that day. But no internal damage, yay. Um, And then we see that Lasting Hope is the only mental health clinic um, open. Most are only open Monday through Friday. Rare cases Monday through Saturday. And most of them close at three or four on a Saturday. And it was like pushing that time because the ER took for fucking ever. 
as it usually does. Um, get noodles and company in between, get myself a little lunchy lunch snack. And then we head on over to Lasting Hope. And again, it's voluntary. So I go in, voluntary, put myself in Lasting Hope to get help. My parents had even called like while I was in the ER getting my blood test, they had called and kind of told them what I was looking for, told them why I was out and about that day going to the hospital and to their place. And they're like, yep, bring her here, whatever. So they knew I was coming, um, get there, get checked in. They had some emergency patients coming in. So we waited for a little bit in the uh, lobby while they got those patients in, had my nurse, uh, the first nurse that I had come out and kind of explained to us the process. Um, end up finding out at the end of this this place didn't even do brain scans <laughs> um but regardless you need even a referral to go get the type of brain scans that I'm wanting to get and still haven't got <laughs> um and so I was like maybe I could get a referral here even you know like I was desperate I was just looking for some answers I was looking for some help this was not the place to get help <laughs> fuck I left a bad review there too and I even called their higher-ups because this was a horrible experience as well. And this caps off the story. Um, and this actually was a very unfortunate situation, but it's what allowed my parents to see the experience and the treatment that I had been having in these types of institutions um, in the mental health industry. <sighs> so fucked up and horrible. They don't treat you like a human being. They treat you like a fucking nutcase. And even if you're not a nutcase, they treat you like a nutcase. Um you get ripped of all your rights and um, no one gives a fuck about you. Seriously. So anyway, nurse comes out and she's like, we have emergency patients. It's going to be like 20 minutes before we can get you back there. And so I'm like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. So as I'm sitting there, I feel my um, blood pressure spike. I feel my heart rate spike. And I don't know. I think I said this in a past episode, but I think I also was moving when I said this on the mic and you may not have been able to hear it. But I keep on my watch, um, the ECG tab is like my home screen because I don't have to do it as much anymore. But back during this time, my anxiety was so bad. I was doing ECGs mm, probably 10 to 15 times a day. Um, and it was always over 100 beats per minute. And right now, like five minutes ago, it's resting at 72 beats per minute. So anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm like, mom and dad, to show you how traumatizing these types of places are for me, look at how high my, um, like how fast my heart was beating. And it was in the 120s, 130s as I'm just sitting waiting to go in this place. But I'm like, I think this is the right thing to do. Based on the research that I did on this place, it seems like they align with what, you know, I think with mental health and what I'm looking for. And, you know, like I thought I was in the correct place for treatment. Um, she explains to me, like, once you get back there, you're going to change into your scrubs. You're going to change into your socks. We're going to have to take away your belongings, all that kind of stuff. So I ended up leaving my belongings with my parents this time because I was like, fuck, I'm not having to be locked up here. They're taking my shit back home. I'm glad I did that. Um, left my stuff with them. And she was like, and just so you know, like the minute that you walk past these doors, you do not get to leave. You will not leave until a doctor clears you to leave and discharges you. And in my head, I'm like, I'm not feeling suicidal. I'm not feeling harmful to others. I'm not feeling harmful to myself. I feel fully sane. I'm just looking for help and like a referral for these freaking scans and for somebody to like hear my story and just 
be an ear and then also give me the right steps. Like give me a plan for fuck's sake. I'm I'm the mental health expert in all these situations when I'm going to seek help for mental health experts is what I found out. Um, so yeah, you won't be able to leave until a doctor discharges you. And I was aware of that, but I was confident that I was not going to be staying the night there because there was no, um, plausible reason in my, uh, eyes that I should have stayed there that night. And I still strongly agree with this. So I start off with a very kind nurse. This was day shift nurse, and she was the one that was kind of giving me the rundown in the lobby. She brought me back. I changed into my scrubs with her. She did a COVID test on me, ran my vitals. Um, She gave me some extra pizza. That was so nice of her um, that the nurses were eating that night. I got some orange juice and milk. I got to sit in there. It was like the first floor. They have a ton of different like first floor is essentially like ER, you'd call it. It's not even like there's not even beds. It's not even a room. It's just like a couch that kind of turns into like a trindle. Not really. It's just like a mat um, with a TV and a door and a chair. And then there's uh, below in the basement the locked like floors um, for like serious um, patients, serious mental health patients that like need to be locked in. Um, And then another side of like you are staying there, but you don't need to be locked in. I don't know. Like it's by seriousness. And the top floor is like, I was just getting an intake. Um, so I'm in that room and they're like, okay, you can't get an intake until the night shift nurses are here. And that's not until like, I think it was seven or something like that. So they're like technically visiting hours ends at whatever. It was, I don't know, like five or something. Um, but we're going to let your parents hang out with you back here. Um, and that was so nice of them. So my parents are hanging out with me. We're watching Impractical Jokers. I'm eating my pizza. I'm like, damn, I'm making moves today. I went to the hospital. I'm not internally damaged. Woo. I'm making moves here. I'm getting good vibes from this place. There's a lot more sunlight in this place. There's even a window in my room. I'm living luxuriously in this one. They gave me pizza. Vibing so hard. And then they're like, all right, uh, it's time for your intake. We're going to ask your parents to leave. Introduce you to your night nurse who did my intake. I meet her. And little did I know I would gonna I was gonna wanna sock her in the face later. God, she was so mean. I was mean right back. I was so mean right back. She couldn't take this heat. She couldn't take this heat, but she was giving me heat. If you can't if you're gonna give it and you can't take it, don't give it, Queen. Anyway. <laughs> um she does my intake. Their intake form is, and this is my night nurse, so my sweet, sweet queen nurse from the day had left, sadly. Um, so night nurse, this intake sheet is just a front and back. I get through it easily, painlessly, very efficiently. There's a, There was a security camera in there. Run it back. I wonder if I could get all this footage, like, for, for the documentary, obviously. Anyway. Um, I do the intake painlessly, easily, efficiently. And, uh, she looks at me and she says, what, like, in an ideal 
world or in your ideal situation, what do you want us to do tonight? And I was like, well, if you like can't do the brain scans here, if you can't get me a referral to get brain scans tonight, I would prefer to go home, you know, like go and sleep in my bed and, you know, have my regular routine. Like if that's that's what I came here for and if I cannot be given that, I want to go home. And she was like, okay, I'll take this to the doctor. Takes my intake form to Mr. Marcus. What a kick in the knockers. My doctor's name was Marcus. And this at this point in time did not settle well with me because it was a nickname I gave my ex-boyfriend and it was spelt the same way I gave my ex-boyfriend his nickname which was traumatizing to me and not funny it's funny now it was not funny it was not funny in this moment (laughs) at all and I kept calling him Mr. Marcus because I was so pissed at him anyway she takes my sheet to Mr. Marcus and Mr. Marcus lays his eyes on this front and back sheet of paper not on me as a real human being. He doesn't even walk his ass up the stairs or wherever the fuck he was um, to assess me. He just looks at this piece of paper. And this nurse had said, and at this point she's still on my good side. She was very kind to me at the beginning. Um, But she had said before she left the room, there are three options um, when you come into Lasting Hope. And those three options are number one, you are discharged and let out. Um, number two, you're held. So like you're held to be reassessed. You're held for a night and then they'll reassess your situation in the morning. Um, or number three, you are like, I can't think of the fucking word. Every time I tell the story, I can't think of the word, but you're put in as a patient. Um, so I'm like, easy number one i'm going home (laughs) i have to be i have to be because like why why for what reason would i be staying i'm not depressed and i said that in the intake i'm not suicidal said that in the intake i don't feel unsafe at home i said that in the intake like no signs pointed to me having to stay there for any fucking reason (laughs) yeah and so i'm like number one i'm i'm fucking leaving this place Parents get put back in the room while we're waiting on news from the doctor. We're watching Impractical Jokers. I'm like, just vibing. And then nurse comes in and tells us, I, Mr. Marcus chose option number two, being held and staying the night there for me. I don't know why. I still don't know why. So when this news is shared, I immediately start hysterically crying. And so do my parents. Um, And then I say something along the lines of to them, one of the reasons I didn't want to go, this was the place that was recommended to me um, when the warrant was put on. (laughs) Um, I looked at their reviews and they were not settling. And so once I was told I was being held, I looked at my parents, I was like crying. And I said, this is why I didn't want to come here because people say like you get stuck in here for no reason. Like their reviews are bad. And that is when the nurse flipped a switch with me. And right as I said that, she said, visiting hours are cut, um, terminated, took my parents out. Um, my parents left. They said, like, if we need to stay down here tonight, 
and just stay in the area if that would make you feel better like we will and I was like no like just go home I have there's a phone I can use here and I'll just see you guys in the morning unfortunately <laughs> and um my night there started and nurse I think walks my parents out and then comes back with a blanket and um a pillow and maybe like water or something and says to me 12 hours won't be that long and that is when I wanted to punch her in the face (laughs) because yeah 12 hours is that long when you don't deserve to be there and when you've done this already yeah it is gonna be that long you bitch 12 hours is gonna be that long when my heart rate is above ungodly amounts the whole 12 hours it's going to beat me to shit physically and mentally and emotionally emotionally (laughs) no e yeah it's not going to go by fast queen so i try to turn on the tv i'm like maybe i'll just watch tv kind of like i did in the last place soothe myself but i was so worked up even just watching TV didn't sound appealing to me. I was like, I would rather just sit in here and rot than try to watch TV and act like I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> and so I did not. I did not turn on the TV. I got in bed at like 7.30 or 8. And I was ready to go to bed because I was like, you know, the faster I fall asleep, the faster I wake up and it's the next morning and I'm out of here, you know? Um, so I close my door, turn off my lights. I'm being a little bit of a bitch because the nurse is pushing back at me and being a little bit of a bitch. So I'm being a bitch back and I'm just being mouthy is all to her in response to her mouthiness, of course. Um, I'm in my room, I'm trying to go to bed, but I can't sleep and I am freaking out. I feel like literally I'm having the symptoms of a heart attack. <laughs> my, uh, I can feel my heart palpitating, shortness of breath. My chest is burning. I feel my chest tightening. I am telling me nurse this, and there was also a kind male nurse that kind of got the brunt of my anger. I'm sorry, sir. Um, I told both of them, literally my heart is pounding. I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. And they didn't do anything. Um, I could hear the male nurse suggesting that maybe they should do something, but I don't know if female nurse just wanted me to die in there (laughs) or what, but they didn't even come in and check my vitals when I said this. Um, So I self-soothed myself out of this heart palpitation, burning, rapidly beating episode. I got out and got myself some water. Um, I was doing breathing exercises. I was literally having to, as I was moving in my bed, air quote bed, it was not a bed. Like I said, it was a mat. As I was moving, my chest was in so much pain. It was so tight. It was burning so bad. I would wince as I was rolling in my bed and they still wouldn't come do anything for me. This is what I mean when I said 
I have debilitating anxiety. And it was obviously spiked in this environment because I was scared. So I'm straight up just fighting for my life until I fall asleep, literally, and telling the nurse that. Like, I'm literally going to, and I'm looking into the security camera. I did this in all the places because when I knew there were cameras, I knew there were people watching the cameras, I'm sure, at one point. Um, so I would speak into them. <laughs> and um, I was saying into the camera, I'm literally, you guys are going to have a fucking gaze. If I don't wake up and I'm literally saying I can feel, I feel like I'm having a heart attack and I die in here, oh, you guys are going to have a case on your hands. <laughs> I was saying that in there, yes, because they would have. I'm glad you, glad I didn't count your blessings, count your blessings, lasting hope. Um, so yeah, made it through the night, woke up. 7 a.m. is when they said Mr. Marcus would come and reassess me and either keep me or let me go. Mr. Marcus never showed his face to me. Obviously, I wake up and mean nurses left because she was on night shift and I had a nicer, um, actually just nice period. She was a nice nurse um, in the morning who also unfortunately caught the brunt of my anger, but I was very angry at the situation and just my life <laughs> at this point in time. So I apologize for that. Um, I woke up pretty early. I had some time and I was out of there a little later than seven, I'm pretty sure, which sucked. Um, Mr. Marcus never showed his face, pussied out. I got discharged by the nurse and went home. Oh, watched some stepbrothers and then went home. Had some breakfast there, cereal, and then went home <laughs> and didn't get any help for mental health. So that is the crisis. That is the crisis in three parts. So let's get into what I learned from my crisis and what I'm still actively learning from my crisis. First things first, what I learned immediately is that our mental health system is royally fucked and we have a lot of work to do. Um, on the bright side, mental health is a bigger discussion in um, current generations and younger generations, um, more than it was a topic of discussion for generations like our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. Um, even aunts and uncles fall into that category of generations. Um, I'm not saying it's all generations, but there is a generational gap. Um, we've been known that, but I don't think I ever knew how bad it was inside of these places, how bad the treatment is and how little the professionals know about the patients that are inside of these facilities. It's heartbreaking. It's sad. And I think a lot of our mental health institutions set people up for failure. Um, this is something that my parents and I actually were discussing as we were sitting in the lobby of Lasting Hope is that great, you have <clears throat> this place for people to come when they need to get help and you give them, well, apparently you give them help when they ask for it. Um, but no one gives really anybody a plan or like steps of what to do when you get out, especially if like you got out of an unsafe situation, you're likely walking back out onto the streets into another unsafe situation. 
we watched and obviously I don't know this person's situation but just from um like a fly on the walls perspective we this is what came up in discussion with my parents is we watched a guy get discharged and he made a few phone calls on his cell phone to see if somebody could come pick him up um and no one could and so he just walked on foot out the doors and down into downtown Omaha with his bag of belongings and his um scrub shirt and jeans and shoes and we were saying like no one obviously we don't know his situation but it's like is that a better situation for him to just like leave here and go right back out on the street <laughs> like what the fuck are we setting people up for just for them to come right back or to get into another bad situation <laughs> i don't know again i didn't not, we had no idea what this guy's situation was but that's how that conversation came up um I've discussed this in past episodes as well, but in the same learning curve, I learned that there's not a lot out there on um, anxiety and not a lot that is known about anxiety, unfortunately. I think a lot of people still look at anxiety as feeling stress or feeling stressed, feeling under pressure, and it's completely not that. Um, It's its own beast. It's something completely separate from stress. Um, and I know that you would never understand it if you haven't experienced it. Um, but there has to be, (laughs) there just has to be a way that our world can be more understanding and learn more about these types of things. If especially so many people in our world experience and struggle, um, with this type of mental illness. (sighs) Yeah. So in our mental health system in the United States and in Nebraska, if you are simply like me, just anxious and not depressed, you're anxious, you're not homicidal, you're not suicidal, you don't get help. I'm serious. You won't get help. But if you're suicidal and you're wanting to harm people and harm other people, then you will get help. Congratulations. (laughs) It's fucked up. It's horrible. I'm glad they give people help, but it's like, I'm not convinced that help is great either, <laughs> for fuck's sake, at all. Um, so yeah, mental health is a discussion, yay, in today's day and age, but it's definitely not a good practice. <laughs> it's definitely not a good practice in the health field. Um, I don't know if it's because we had so many nurses going through school during uh, COVID, chagging their way through it, cheating their way through it, or what happened, but... Um, if we could teach some empathy in nursing school, <laughs> give these nurses a heart, give these nurses, um, I think sometimes when they've been out of school for a little bit, they forget that they're taking care of real human beings and, um, that like the person you're taking care of is a daughter, a son, a wife, a husband, a friend, a grandma, a person that, um, deserves proper care and to be treated with dignity um and i think a lot of people have forgotten this bedside manner <laughs> that is one thing i learned another thing i learned is how precious life is and that sounds so cliche and stupid Ugh, gross no but seriously life is so fragile and it can be flipped upside down 
tomorrow. You could be in the best stage and having the best day of your life and tomorrow it could all change. And so YOLO. So YOLO. YOLO with constraints, YOLO with boundaries, YOLO safely, but YOLO. Um, I used to be so uptight. I used to be so, I need a plan for my life right now. I need to know what my next 10 years to a T are planned out like. I need to constantly, I was always worrying about what was next. And I can proudly say, I don't give politely, I don't give a fuck what happens in my days anymore. It is what it is. Jesus take the wheel. I'll end up going where I need to be. I will be on time. I will still be my normal self, but I could care less. Um, you know, I'm not going to stress. Too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> There's Life's too short. Life's too fragile to be worrying about silly, stupid things like is someone going to think my outfit's weird? Is someone going to think my Instagram post is weird? Is someone going to think that my new hair color is ugly? Is someone going to think that what I went through is not true? Is everybody else's opinions but mine fizzled into thin air after this experience? Because life is fragile and I don't give a flying fuck <laughs> anymore because yellow. And that's my second lesson. But I do want to get a little more sentimental with it is that I literally, yeah, almost lost my life a few <laughs> times in the past three months. And it's unfortunate to say, but it has completely changed my perspective on life. I told my parents once I moved back into their house, like it was sad, but it's so pure. And it's what happened to me after <laughs> all of this is that I literally found joy in such small things. And I still am. It's kind of as like time has been passing, more time has been passing. I'm not as jazzed by the small things anymore just because I've been doing said small things like every day now. Um, but when I was getting back into a routine and when I was getting back into a home and just like my regular life again after it had gotten flipped upside down and I had been living with other people, I'd been hospitalized, I had been berated by police, I had been everything. <laughs> Um, like just driving a car, driving my car, driving a car, having the windows down, simply driving, going to the grocery store. And the first time I got to go to Target was magical. And that's not like sarcasm or a joke. Like it was literally amazing. Um, sleeping in my own bed, going for a walk, just being alive, being here, being around still. And like being on the mic right now, <laughs> literally, every day is a blessing. Every day is another chance. Every day is a gift. It's a gift to get out of bed in the morning. It's a gift to be able to walk on both of your feet. It's a gift to move your legs. It's everything's a gift. And yeah, it really, really pounded that into my brain in the last few months. Another thing that I learned is the importance in being vulnerable, the importance in sharing your feelings, the importance in sharing your experiences with people that they're meant to be shared with or 
with given boundaries, you know, um, the amount of connections that I have rekindled, just being honest and open and vulnerable about my story and my experience in the last three months and what I have been through in my lifetime as well. Um, just having people who resonated either with my story, with my experience, and or they have been having a similar experience with their mental health that we can have a common ground and confide in each other and or just say, hey, I'm here for you. You're here for me. If you ever need to talk, I'm here for you. And I've been, you know, supporting you from afar. There's incredible value in that. And also, I think social media and the internet and yeah, I'd say social media and the internet formed this. But the notion that everyone else's lives are amazing and no one struggles and no one has these crazy, horrible, sad things that happen to them because social media is a highlight reel. People tend to share the positives. People tend to share the good news. But how often do you hear people talking about the bad things that have happened to them? I don't think we always need to talk about the negatives, but I do think like opening up about the bad things, opening up about the scary things, opening up about the embarrassing things. Like this is embarrassing. (laughs) I I had a mental health warrant put on me. That's embarrassing. It's not embarrassing, honestly. I mean, I'm (laughs) I'm not. I was embarrassed back then. I'm not embarrassed now. I had nothing to be embarrassed about, but it's not something that everyone would choose to share. I would have not chose to share that years ago, but I'm at the point now where it's something that it happened to me. It's a part of my story. It's a part of my life. It's a part of something that I think of daily now. And maybe it'll make sense to you now why I live the way that I do or why I act the way that I do now that you know my entire story of the struggles I've endured in the last three months. Maybe you look at me in a different way in which you feel like you could open up to me now and vice versa. Or you don't know me personally, but now you feel like you have some sort of connection to me because you've experienced something similar. It's so important to talk about your struggles. It's so important to talk about the bad things that have happened to you because you have no idea who you're speaking to and how they may connect with what you are saying. So yeah, I'll say one more lesson and then we are out of here. The value in your, as my mom would call it, your tribe, your tribe, the value in your team, the value in your tribe, the value in your support system, whatever you want to call it. There's so, there's an immense amount of value in the people that you surround yourself with. And um, this is something obviously I discussed in the friends episode, but um, I have had to kind of like rewire my brain and re- assess my support system. And I've reassessed it to a point now where I learned the value of it during this experience because I was surrounded by people, but I felt incredibly alone. I was surrounded by people who loved me and I was surrounded by people who said that they were my friends or, you know, like my ride or dies, but I still felt incredibly lonely. And with the right support team, with the right support system, you shouldn't feel that way. Um, the people who are in my support system now have never made me feel that way. Therefore, that's why they're still around. Um, 
you need a support system that makes you feel heard, valued, loved, seen. Um, and all of my people do that now. And it's hard to obviously go through and find those weak links that may not be meeting you where you need to be met. Maybe you can rekindle with them in the future. But the lesson that I learned in all of this is I would have never made it through if it weren't for the strong links in my support system. And those strong links, strong link was Kara. And towards the end, although many of the reasons that I struggled was due to my family and the issues that we were going through, towards the end and once I moved back in with them, they have become another strong link. And I'm slowly adding to this link of just people who I know will root for me and I will root for them. And did it rock me to my core to cut people out and lose people during this time and during a time that I needed people the most? Absolutely. But did it rewire and retrain my brain as to what to look for in a friend or a significant other so that in the future, if I ever experience a crisis like this, I know the exact type of person and support that I need? Um. And I think that's a really amazing strength to have. Um, so yeah, I've learned a lot. I'm still learning, still very much learning. I'm still very young. I turn 23 tomorrow. 420. 420 is my birthday. 420. Woo! And it's tomorrow. I'm young. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. Um, but this last three months, damn, I learned in super speed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the crisis. That's the third part. Congratulations for making it. And, um, we'll catch you with a lighter episode next. Okay. Cheers.